0: Greetings this morning in the name of Jesus. I like the words of that song. While we're here called to labor, we want to faithfully do that. But I'm sure all of us this morning are looking for that better place. Let's all continue faithful in that. I just want to thank you for your prayers this past week. May we continue to all pray for each other. I'm thankful for the grace of God. I want to continue to live in that. i also like to uh, just thank many of you for the last two weeks. I know it's been a very busy time, revivals and then the meetings last week. <clears throat> many of you put in a lot of extra effort, trustees, food committee, just a lot of different things needed to be done. just want to say thanks to you for your hard work made everything run smoothly. Also just want to say, um, we're planning to be away next Sunday, we Plan to be, go to Texas. Our oldest granddaughter plans to be baptized, so glad to be able to be there for that, Lord willing. For a message this morning, I have to admit that I had a hard time landing on a passage of Scripture or a subject. It seems like we've heard a lot of messages the last few weeks. Not that we run out of things to say or run out of things we've defined in the Bible, but it's more a matter of knowing what to say. But this morning I would like to think for a little while about this. It's a topical message on what God knows about us. And I know this, in a sense, is elementary, and yet, I guess throughout this week, I've been, um, this has come to my mind many times, and you think about what God knows about us. There are numerous stories in the Bible of people that in various times and places suddenly realized that God was right there. In the, maybe sometimes in the form of an angel, but God's presence was right there. I'm not sure if you've ever felt that way or not. I've had various times in my life where there was that sudden realization that there was a divine presence. Why does that shock us? And that's probably somewhat of a philosophical question, but why does that ever surprise us? We know, we believe, that God is everywhere present, right? Yes, we say we believe that. as a... It's one of the basic truths of our understanding of God. But then, why are we sometimes surprised when we have that jolt or realization that I'm in the presence of a divine being? I'm in the presence of Christ or of God or, or a divine person. I'd like to just take your thoughts first of all to Genesis 16. I'd like to look just at a couple stories or a couple passages where to illustrate this and then we would like to go on and try to understand more about this God that knows about us and then what does he know about us and what should that do for us in our in our lives now Genesis 16 you recognize is the story of Hagar the uh, servant or the maid servant of, of Sarai Do you remember how that there had been a promise made that they would have a son, Abraham and Sarah? Still Sarai here in this passage, but um, that was not happening. And it ended up that um, Sarai told Abraham that maybe he should uh, maybe have a child with, with with the mistress, her maid. And that happened. And then now in verse 5, Genesis 16, verse 5, And Sarai said unto Abraham, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. But Abraham said unto Sarah, Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do unto her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly or harshly with her, she fled from her face, and the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness by the fountain in the, on, in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence comest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I fled from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands, And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he shall be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand uh, against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou, God, seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Now, Hagar here, in fleeing from Sarai, uh, found that um, God's eye was upon her. And she actually, the name of the Lord... That she gave him because of this experience is, thou God seest me. And she says, have I also looked after him that seeth me. In other words, she found him in a place that she did not expect. And so that is uh, uh, the thought that we'd like to look at this morning in the context, not so much of this scripture, but in understanding and knowing what God knows about us. Now, another scripture, we're not going to turn to all of these, but um, in Genesis 28 and verse 16, do you remember there the story of Jacob fleeing from the wrath of Esau because of the birthright and the blessing? And Esau was um, very uh, angry with him because he had stolen the blessing, he thought, from him, which wasn't really true. But uh, Jacob was fleeing into the land of Haran. You remember that place he camped that night, out in the middle of nowhere, and he thought he was out in the middle of nowhere. It was a dangerous place. He was out on the plains there. He put rocks around him, and um, in our New Testament, I mean our um, King James version, it translates it. He took rocks for his pillows. That's not really a pillow that you lay your head on, like we would think of a pillow, but it has more to do with putting rocks around himself to protect himself from. Uh, from like an enclosure from wild animals that night. And, and, and he, as he was trying to sleep there, you remember he had that vision. And the ladder set up to heaven, and, and God appeared to him, and God spoke to him that, that night. And, you know, and later in the morning when Jacob awoke, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. There was a discovery of the presence of God in a place that he did not expect. He thought he was all alone. Yes, he believed in Almighty God. He believed in the God of his fathers, Abraham and Isaac. But he did not expect to meet God out in that desert. But God was there. And God had a meeting with him. And God showed him some things. And God made a promise to him. And Jacob made a promise to God. And so again, it's, it's that realization that many times in places that we may not expect, we may not understand, but God is there. He, and, um, and there's that jolt of reality. Maybe it's not as clear in this one, but in Daniel chapter 3, verse 25 there, you have the story of the three Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who very bravely in, the, in their faith in God said, we're not going to bow to you. It doesn't matter whether you burn us alive or not. That doesn't change our opinion, or it doesn't change our minds. We're going to stand and what we believe is right. We believe and have faith in a God that can deliver us, whether he will, we don't know, but we're not going to change our minds. Firmness, stability. And you remember how the, uh, Nebuchadnezzar picked the most, the, the, his best men, his best soldiers, generals, whoever they were, the best men of his army, to bind these <clears throat> three helpless young men and toss them into the fire. It was so hot, the Bible says, that it, the flames slew the men who threw them in. Naturally, you'd have to get pretty close to the open, to the door to toss a man in there. So by getting that close to be able to do that, they actually burnt themselves alive. But, and we don't know the, what was going through the minds of these, of these three young men. But one thing we do find interesting in this story is that when Nebuchadnezzar was sitting there, he's peering into this flame you know from a distance and he said well they're walking around in there and i see four of them and the fourth one looks like the son of god or probably means angel of god and so here you have three young men stood firm to their faith would not give in because of their obedience to the god of heaven tossed into this burning fiery furnace but there was someone there waiting for them. They did not know that. They knew that God was able. They said that. But they met another person in the midst of that fire that day. And I would say probably, maybe a little unexpected, walking with them through the flame. Zacharias, there in Luke 1, Verse 11, the priest of the Lord, house of Levi, ministering there before the altar. He was offering the altar of incense so he would have been in the holy place. Not the most holy, but the holy place. So the people outside, worshipers, could not see him. He was behind the first curtain. Offering incense on the altar. He was a devout man, a righteous man, waiting for what God would do for Israel, the promise of the Messiah. Going through the procedures like he probably had done many, many times. He was an older man, served the Lord many, many years, taking his turn. He says, Turn that day to offer incense on the altar of incense. Smoke probably was billowing up. And all of a sudden, he saw an angel standing on the other side of the altar. Surprise, right? There had been no divine word from heaven for 400 years. They had the Old Testament scriptures. They read them. They were trying to understand them. They were going through what God said to do, standing there offering incense like he had done hundreds of times maybe before. And suddenly, he was in the presence of a divine being. An angel was standing on the other side of the altar. We have a similar, in the same chapter, Luke 1. About six months after this, after the first happening with Zacharias there, about six months later, Mary one day, whatever she was doing that day, probably the normal things that she would do that day, suddenly had an angel standing in front of her. It was the same angel that had stood before in front of Zacharias on the other side of the altar. Because you remember, just backing up a little bit, when Zacharias had, had seen that angel, he was troubled, he was, he was afraid. You remember that angel announced who he was. He said, I am Gabriel who stand in the presence of God. That's who I am. The same Gabriel then came to, the, to Mary and said some, somewhat the same thing. But she said, I, he said, I'm come to give you a message. And so there, Mary was troubled. She was perplexed. She was surprised. It was an angelic visit from heaven. Now, I just point to these. There will be a lot more in Scripture But we're not going to take that time. That's an interesting study in itself. But men of God, women of God, who in faithfulness and service and commitment at times had that realization, as clear as can be, that I'm in the presence of God in a different way than ever before, or at least for that moment. Now, in thinking of this, I believe, well, first of all, let me say this. I talked about the surprise factor. And I had asked the question, why are we surprised sometimes to discover that the presence of God is so close to us? Why are we surprised at that? And I said before, remember, don't we believe that God is everywhere? He's omnipresent. We believe he's here this morning. In presence, through the Holy Spirit, through the presence of Jesus Christ? Is it because we are so blinded by living in this material world? I'm talking about material now, not in materialism per se, but just material world. Because our eyes are limited, our vision is limited to the material world around us. so We don't usually have a perception or able to see beyond the curtain of this material world into the unknown, or you could say the spirit world. I believe there's times that God gives people glimpses into the spirit world. It doesn't happen often. Apostle Paul would be one illustration of that there when he was caught up to the third heaven. But in this, I'm just concerned, and and for myself and all of us sometimes that we don't recognize that we are constantly in the presence of almighty god and while we may not realize it in a special way because his presence is is veiled yet yet we he he's with us like he's he's close to us he's and and it should have an impact on our lives now i'd just like to stop for a little bit before we take that thought further and think for a little bit about who is this God who knows, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We could go to Isaiah forty and read about the greatness of God. If you ever if I'm ever struggling with pride, it's a good scripture to read. All nations are as a drop of a bucket, counted as less than nothing. Less than the dust of the balance. Nothing. So that is a, in relation to the God who knows us. We know so we try to understand in our imagination what all that means. As you know, I enjoy astronomy. I'm not an astro- astronomist or astronomer, but I I enjoy astronomy at least reading some of the things that they discover. The new telescope out there is finding a lot of interesting things. Even the old Hubble telescope is seeing more and more. And just read some of those things and look at some of those pictures and. And the vastness, and just the other people, sometime back, Anyway, I'm not sure when it was, but I read about that they with some of their discoveries, like, that shouldn't be. So maybe the universe is a lot younger than what we thought. I thought, hmm, interesting, they're on the right track, but I don't know how far they're going to get, but hopefully they can come all full circle. But And these these radio signals that they're getting. And uh, it's just, it's fascinating. But you think of that, and I may refer to this later, but Solomon at the dedication of the temple, you know, he's talking about the greatness and the glory of God. He said, the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. The heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. You think about the billions and billions of light years a way that they can see other universes. And yet, Solomon said, all of that is too small to contain. Your glory, your majesty, your greatness. And then the psalmist says, like sort of picture this, maybe David laying out under the stars one night as a shepherd. I'm not sure. I, I can't prove that. But he said this, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? That which is all true can also be in the connotation of us sometimes feeling that God is so high, so great, how does he spend any time bothering about me? And so, think this morning with me about who this God is who knows so much about us. Because of greatness, we have a tendency to think that that diminishes the minute, you see. But with God, that's not true. It's actually probably the opposite the greater He is, the greater in His power, the greater in His presence, the more His ability to understand the minute. Let's see. All right, now, what all does God know about us? What would you say this morning? What, what, is, what all does God know about you? I know we can easily say, well, He knows everything. End of story. Let's go home. But what's the practical side of this? We can say that, I think, most often we say it philosophically. But we very seldom probably say that in that tone of voice, at least personally. And that's what I would like to portray this morning. That which is personal. What does God know about you? What does God know about you? I'm going to be quoting a lot of verses here. We're not going to take the time to turn to them. That would be great. But I want to just keep our thoughts moving. So what all does God know about you? Well, he knew He knew us before we were born. He knew us before we were born. These are simple truths. But just think about it in the personal context. I think of that verse in Jeremiah 1. And maybe I should have said in this point... Instead of saying he knew us before we were born, maybe we should say he knew us before we were conceived. Jeremiah 1 and verses 5 to 7 there. When when God was calling Jeremiah to be a prophet, he said, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now, Jeremiah's response was, in light of the fact that God is saying to him, I knew you before you were born, before you were conceived. I, I knew you, and I had called you. Then Jeremiah's response was, Then said I, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, that shalt thou speak. So there you have the call of God or the knowledge of God before a person was conceived. Now, I'd like to also say in relation to this, and we need to keep our thinking straight because society has really diverted on this. But in the eyes of God, in the eyes of God, no person is conceived or born by mistake or accident. No person. And a lot of nominal Christianity get this confused today because they say, oh, we're against abortion. But maybe in cases of rape, we would say it's okay to to, to have an abortion. That's wrong. It's wrong. It doesn't mean that it justifies any wrongdoing and sin on anybody's part. But the innocent child is, is not to blame for that. And there's the sovereignty of God in all of that. Yes, it's unfortunate. It's what? It's, it's, in the eyes of God, no person is conceived or born by mistake or accident. And we have to keep that clear. It's a people of God. God told Jeremiah, before you were conceived, before that, I knew you. And I had placed a call upon you, I placed a hold upon you, as it were, for a specific purpose. Now, another part of this is, in God knowing us before we were born, or maybe before you could say before we were conceived, I believe that God preordained the exact DNA package that you received at the moment of conception. Again, I believe that's part of the sovereignty of God and his choices. Think of it this way. Understanding biology, which we do, to a point. But out of all the millions of possibilities at that moment of conception, God chose exactly you. The second, this next thought is that he saw every cell forming in the womb. He saw every cell forming in the womb. Psalm 139, 15, and 16, the psalmist there says, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Not even a single cell. It starts with a single cell and divides from there. We understand that. But here the psalmist says, you understood that and you saw that. You saw me before I was the moment of conception. And then as those cells started to divide, your eye was on me. You saw me. That substance, that nucleus of cells, was, he says, unperfect. That means unformed. It was not even really a, it did not even look like a baby yet, you could say. But it was was growing, it was being fashioned. And you understood that. That's what God knows about us. Now, think about it this way. I don't know what your struggle may have been or is or whatever, but so you don't like the shape of your nose. So you don't like the color of your hair. So you don't like the shape of your face. You know, whatever it is that you would, you would change if you had a choice. Whatever you would change if you had a choice... you say, well, I don't really like this about me. The fact is, God likes it about you. Because that's a sovereign choice he made for you. In the package of DNA that you got, half from your mother, half from your father. That's the package he gave you. He chose for you. So in other words, let's not spend... Any time, any waste, any time, wishing that we are different, wishing that we could change the things that we cannot change, because those the sovereign acts of God. Now we can spend some time changing the things that we can change. Now it is true that you know, I mean, I get into this too deep, but you understand, you know, there's some things about personality that we were given as part of our DNA makeup, personality. But some parts of personality you can change you can push yourself, you can retrain yourself you can you know people that talk too much can slow down, and people that don't talk enough can you know do more of it or whatever I'm just using that as illustration. There are some things you can change, and then we can concentrate on those, but you know don't spend a lot of time changing things it's one of the th- reasons that we're against like you know a lot of this um, the fads and fashions of the world and and people always trying to change themselves. I mean, this whole, this whole thing of gender dysphoria would be just one part of that. But, you know, piercings and tattoos and um, even makeup, you know, and all those things. It's like not satisfied with the person God made you, you have to somehow alter this? It's also, I think, a lesson for children in this <clears throat> for you as children and for all of us as older ones probably guilty of this too at times but this is why it is so wrong to make fun of other people that are different than you it's actually a very serious thing in the eyes of God Proverbs says, he that despises the poor reproaches their maker. You make fun of somebody that's poor, you're despising their maker. You make fun of somebody's looks or whatever it is about them that was part of the DNA package that God gave them, you're reproaching God. So it's, that's why it's so important for us as parents to teach our children to not be disrespectful toward people that maybe look a little different or act a little different or, or whatever it is. It's really, in the eyes of God, you're making fun of God. You're making fun of, of the sovereign God who chose. And did you have any choice in what you think you got? You know, if you stand in front of the mirror and think you're pretty handsome or you're pretty beautiful, did you have any choice in that? That's why God says you better be really humble about that because what, 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 hast, what, what hast thou that thou hast not received? So you think, oh, I, I'm, I'm okay. i okay. I look pretty good. Honestly, I can't say I ever struggle with that one. But anyway, but you, you see what I'm saying, though? Then there's other struggles that we can have. But what hast thou that thou hast not received? You can't, you didn't choose that. It's the same as anyone else never chose it. remember the story of Elisha there and the group of children? Forty children came out and made fun of him that day. A serious thing. And God judged him for that. Now, i got to hurry on. God also knew your name before you were born. There's an interesting uh, prophecy in Isaiah 44:28 of Cyrus. He was going to be a Persian king. And God talked about Cyrus through the prophet Jeremiah, 150 years before he was born. Cyrus, my servant, he says, he calls him my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure. He was a coming um, Persian king that was going to allow the Jews under, we know the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah, go back and rebuild Jerusalem. But God knew his name 150 years before he was born. Same for us. You know, also every little personal detail is known. You know, again, a very familiar scripture, Matthew 10, 30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. How many hairs are on your head? Probably a few less since you combed your hair this morning. Sometimes when I'm cleaning out my comb after I comb my hair, I think about that. I guess God has to subtract a few. That's infinite knowledge. Personal detail. And you say, yes, we know that. And the scripture tells us that. But what does it mean to me? It means that the great God of heaven is also a God of detail. And he has an intimate knowledge of, of me, of you. An intimate knowledge. And then it goes right, to the, this, goes right to the next one. And, you know, he knows our needs before we ask him. Matthew 6, 8. For your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. And then somebody could say, well, why would I bother praying then? I heard someone told me one time, well, I don't pray very much because God, the Bible says God already knows everything anyway, so I, I really need to tell him. He missed the whole point. God wants to know that we know that we have a need. That's the whole point. And he wants us to bring our petitions to him and he wants us to come to him because out of that sense of need in our own hearts, we recognize that we need the help of a divine creator. And by under, and the other thing is that because because of him having that intimate, detailed knowledge of each of our lives, right down to every molecule, atom, cell, you know, DNA, all those things, he has an intimate knowledge of all of that, it means that we should never be shy to bring our smallest petitions to this almighty God. Because he cares about details. Why would he tell us, I know how many hairs on your head, why would he tell us that? Because he wants us to understand that I do know and care about the details of your life. Have you ever felt, and I have felt this way and that, to my own shame many times, that well, that's just too small of a thing to take to, to God. He's you know as if God is too busy with every you know, the big problems of, of the world. Reason I was challenged with that something, a few things I won't get into the details, but a few things that I was de- dealing with that I had to this is probably a month or two ago, and I just remember while I was thinking about that I said well i I would just pray you know that it seemed like such a a, a minute you know small detail but but I prayed and and I thought, interesting, that turned out I mean God answered that, and then I was thinking about myself. Why would I think that the great God of heaven doesn't have time for, for details? And that's where parents, you know, teach your children. You lose the keys, you, you, this or that other thing, you know, there's, there's a God in heaven that cares about details. That's what I see in the principle of the count of our, the hairs on our head. Why would we shy away? It's that distance, I think, that we can create between us and God. He also knows what, our, what you're going to say, what I'm going to say before we think it. You know, nothing surprises God. There's a quote I came across. And it goes, um, I'm sure I had it on here somewhere. Yeah, right here. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Because he already knows. We say, Oh, this just occurred to me. Or in other words, I'm saying, I just thought of this. God never says that. Nothing has ever just occurred to him infinite knowledge. So he knows what we're going to say before we think it. Psalm 139 talks about that. Nothing comes out of our mouth. No, I should say it this way. Nothing that comes out of our mouth is a surprise to God. Nothing that ever comes out of our mouth is a surprise to God. Because he knows our thoughts before we speak. So in thinking of that, we can really never say I, I, um, I, I, sorry, I said that without thinking. Uh, we all say that sometimes. What we mean is we didn't think enough. But God, God knew that, of course. He knows every thought. Psalms 94 11. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, that they are vanity, in other words, empty. He knows every detail about the rest of our lives. One illustration of this, the others in Scripture, John 21. Thereafter, Peter was asked by Jesus, Lovest thou me those three times? Then Jesus told him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto them, Follow me. What Jesus was telling Peter was, it was a prophecy related to Peter's death, because Peter had, you know, seen John walking there, and, and uh, what well, actually happened right after this, you know, Peter's reaction to this when he turned and saw John there beside Jesus, he said, "Lord, and what shall this man do?" And Jesus said, "If I will that he continue, in other words, that he stay alive until I come again, what is that to thee? Follow thou me." In other words, this is what I I know is going to happen to you. This is how you're going to die. You're going to be crucified. And what he was saying was, your hands are going to be stretched out. You're going to be crucified. That's the way you're going to glorify God. And uh, we know that that happened. And it got to the point of crucifixion for for, uh, the apostle Peter. They were going to crucify him on a cross. He made a specific request. He asked to be crucified upside down. To be hung upside down on the cross. History says that's exactly what they did. They were glad to comply to that. They had probably not, hadn't thought of that before. That would be even more torture. So they crucified the apostle Peter upside down. And the reason was that Peter said, I'm not worthy to die in the same way my master died. So that came true exactly the way Jesus said, you're going to stretch forth your hands. And they're going to lead you where you would not choose to go. Paul and his suffering, we talked about that some in our Sunday school lesson. In relation to um, his testimony, and we talked about the fact that he, that was prophesied at his conversion, that he was going to suffer, and that came true. And so this morning, God does know the detail about the, of the rest of our lives. He, he understands that. He knows that. Another one is that he knows our tears. He counts your tears. Do you ever know that God does this? He actually keeps them, and um, he understands, he knows us. Psalm 56, verse 8, Thou tellest my wanderings; put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? I heard, heard a message many, many years ago. The title of the message was God's Tear Bottle. He records that. He, re- he understands our suffering, our tears. It's part of his, his record of our lives. So usually tears are shed many times because of suffering and grief. There's various reasons, of course, but you think about that. Standing beside an open grave of a loved one, and tears the tears are flowing and i often think of this god is counting them god is counting them he knows and jesus knows because he understood what it felt like to stand beside the grave of a friend i don't think he was he was weeping for lazarus because he knew he was going to raise him from the dead in a few minutes I think Christ was there weeping because of all the suffering across the millenniums of time because of sin and death. The weight of grief that the world bears today is unbelievable. The tears that are shed, little children suffering because of war and all kinds of things, tears are shed. God's counting them. Well, he knows our sin. This knowledge brings condemnation and guilt. How old does a child have to be to understand this? No, I shouldn't say understand it. They they don't understand it, but to actually react to this? Very, very young. What do you do as mothers, fathers? You have a... Two year old, three year old, four year old, anything older too, but you know, there's that there's that innate knowledge of accountability. If it's too quiet and all of a sudden you don't hear anything going on for a while, what do you do? You quickly go check, see what's going on. It's too quiet. Or it's like they're out of sight. You know, what's wonder what's happening? Why does the little child go around the corner to eat the stolen cookie? it's just it's there right it's the, it's the inborn realization that there's eyes on me and the carnal nature doesn't like eyes on us jesus said of the of the uh, scribes pharisees those in his day not just them but fallen mankind it would have been that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil Have you ever done something in the dark? Thinking that somehow that makes it concealed? Something wrong? The scripture says darkness and light are both alike to thee. Why do we deceive ourselves? Why why do we think those kind of thoughts? There is no darkness and light to God. He sees everything as clear as can be. It's what God knows about us, you see. His eye is on us. And so he, he, he sees that. He knows our weaknesses, he understands us. Maybe it feels like nobody else understands us. Psalm 103 13 and 14, like as the father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Familiar, familiar verse. It doesn't mean that we, he's going to cover sin because he gives us a way of escape. Brother Dennis talked about that in our revivals. But, but he does understand us in our, the struggles of our lives. He's not an angry God trying to get even with us, trying to punish us and looking for ways to... No, he, he wants to save us. He wants to bring us to his eternal kingdom. But he understands us. He understands the thoughts and intents of our heart. Matthew 4. Again, that was referred to in our revival meetings. So sometimes we say, well, that's not what I intended. Or someone else will say, well, that's not really what I intended. You have to take that at face value. But God knows from the inside out whether it's true or not. Because He knows the intent of the heart. We can be misunderstood sometimes. And that's why it's not usually. A good idea to try to defend ourselves when we're misunderstood. There's a place to explain something maybe. But we don't have to get all bent out of shape when we're misunderstood. God knows. He knows the intent of my heart. You know, someone steps on my toes, someone makes life miserable for me or whatever it is. It doesn't it doesn't matter so much. We don't have to take vengeance. God says, Let it to me, I'll take care of it. We have a God that knows. He knows us through and through. He knows the days of our lives. Joe 14:5, seeing his days are determined. The number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Our our appointment with death is known to God. He knows the day. Of our death, the time, the circumstances. None of these things compromise free will because God is greater than that. He can know that without overriding free will. The call to us is always repent, respond to God, choose to serve him, and if we choose to do that, that's part of God's will then too. And God knew that, see, that we would repent. And so we have that choice. God, God's foreknowledge does not lock us in in relation to free will. We we can choose as long as there's life. Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. If you knew the exact date, like like God does of when we will die, you will die, and meet God. How would it feel just to see every day struck off the list? You know, you say you have 100 days left. 99, 98, 97, 96. How would it make you feel? I'm glad God doesn't tell us the day of our death. But the psalmist said, teach us to number our days. We know we have a certain amount of time left. The call to us is, it doesn't have to worry us. It doesn't have to concern us. It doesn't have to um, make us afraid. Spend a lot of time worrying about it. Because when we're right with God. We know the God that knows us. There's security. There's comfort. I, in, some of you know this because I've quoted it off and on through the years, but I love the quote that David Livingstone, when he had friends in England trying to convince him not to go back to Africa, they said, you're going to go there? You're going to die there. You know what David Livingstone said? I am immortal until my work is done. So we don't know the day of our death. We don't know our appointment with death. God knows that. But what opportunities we have and the choices that we can make Today, while we have time, until we get to that unknown date is what's going to count for all eternity. What should this knowledge do for us? It should give us security and trust. The fact that God knows everything about you, everything. let should give it security and trust. You know, there's all these people in the world today that are struggling with the existential question and the meaninglessness of life. They don't know who they are. They don't know where they're going. They don't know where they came from. They don't know what's supposed to get done in life. And the meaning of life, they don't understand it. And they may take a gun and go shoot a bunch of people. They may do this and they take drugs and they do all kinds of things. It's all an existential problem. For the child of God who knows that God has infinite knowledge of me and you, in our lives, it gives security and trust. There's a reason for us being here. We're here because Almighty God put us here in exactly this time, this place, in this body with this DNA and these opportunities. And it's up to us to make that choice of what we're going to do with that. It also reminds us that there's no place to hide. We talked about that. Darkness and light are both alike to thee. And so there's no place to hide. That's what the psalmist said there in Psalm 139. I can't go anywhere in the universe that God is not there. It should also free, uh, we should feel free to bring, as I said before, the smallest of our cares and requests to him because he cares about the details of our lives. It should also instill a deep curiosity and searching for the deeper meaning of our life. Why are we here? Yes, God is a reason. So we're going to follow after, like the Apostle Paul, and try to understand the reason that God put us here. And that's a quest of our life. It also is the knowledge that should help us to get along with each other. Think about the differences that God enjoyed in his choice to make us. God enjoys diversity. He didn't make us all the same. We have trouble sometimes with those diversities. But as the scripture says there in 2 Corinthians 4, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. This morning, I'm glad that God knows everything. I'm glad he knows everything about me. I'm glad he knows everything about you. Let's rejoice in that. Let's go forth in confidence and in strength. And with that ever-developing curiosity about what God has for us that we have not yet experienced. What that is, God knows. But it's there. And let's be sure to seek his will and way for our lives. Let's kneel to pray. Father, for who you are, and though you're the mighty, majestic God of all eternity, yet you humble yourself to look upon the earth and to understand us and to know us. You created us for a specific reason. You put us here in this time and place, for a specific purpose and Father we just pray that we each in our lives would find that path of knowledge to you and Father show us the way help us to understand your will May we open and, and seek you and thank you that Father nothing surprises you and but you are aware of every circumstance of our life we pray your blessing upon us as we continue faithful. And may that knowledge of your ever-present person, not only you as Father, but of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and the Holy Ghost within, be a blessing to each of our lives. And may we each serve you in faithfulness. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.